today I spoke with Sharon for, and we spoke all things hypnotherapy, psychotherapy, the evolution of humans, our nature, our design, everything. And we talked so much. We're going to do another episode soon. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning and welcome to the David Watson podcast. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm all good. All good. It's sunny this morning. What could be better? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And my dog has been sunbathing in the garden. And interestingly, just pre-countdown and introduction to this, you and I were getting into, and I wanted to stop because there's something that I think is probably very important for the subject that you and I are going to talk about. And there's a little teaser for people, but it's that I was saying that when people come on as guests, one of the things that's most important for me is how they feel comfortable. And that's not my place to decide. It's my place to facilitate that, you know, because some people are happy to just come on having never met me, never spoken to me, and we'll just go fly by wire and see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, other people are not comfortable with that. So they want some almost like pre-flight checks. Do you know what I mean? How do you do this? What's this about? Can we have some conversation first? Can we have, um, can I send you some question? And, and sometimes I'm aware that because I'm very like, yeah, whatever's easiest for you, that doesn't really reassure everybody. And they're almost like to the point, well, does this guy know what he's doing? He doesn't seem to be very organized. <laughs> and it's not, it's about well, what's comfortable for you because I'm literally comfortable turning on the screen and seeing if we can have a chat. And if we can't, it doesn't, you know, and there have been, there's always one podcast that stands out. And ironically, you and I briefly mentioned Caroline Kavanagh before we started. She will know exactly which podcast I'm on about, which episode I'm on about, where me and that person just, it just did not click. And the funny thing is there would have been um, a lot of conversation prior to that with messaging. It took about two months to set the podcast up. And we had had lots of to and fro. And this person has a social media account and talks quite freely on it, writes amazing blogs. But when her and I actually spoke, it just didn't click, didn't gel. So weirdly, all of the things that should have worked because it was put in place didn't help. So I've always kind of been like, yeah. And, and I know it doesn't always reassure people that I know what I'm doing or that it's going to work. And which is a really a good way of getting onto because I'm just going to let you explain what it is you do. Yeah. Well, just if I could say, first of all, just what I was thinking there as you were talking is that we all know that people buy from people. And if you don't actually be, be um, uh, to, to be you, to be authentic, um, you don't get the best out of people. And that's the same whether it's podcasts or just whatever you're expecting from people in life. And that's very aligned to what we do. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, sorry. Yeah. No, no. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, easy birth and hypno birth. I mean, just explain what that is because. Yeah, absolutely. So so just to, um, if I may, just to explain a bit of the, con the context, first of all. So, um, uh uh, myself and my, my husband, my colleague Stuart, uh, have been hypnotherapists and psychotherapists for 27 years. So we're quite an established business. 
And uh, easy birthing um, and hypnobirthing being part of that is part of our specialist services. So we're, um, we're hypnotherapists and psychotherapists based in Salisbury um, and do all that you would expect hypnotherapists and psychotherapists to do. But just over 17 years ago, um, we opened, uh, first of all, a hypnobirthing um, business whereby uh, we provide um, everything from um, uh, therapy around that, including things like um, uh, birth trauma, uh, any fears around childbirth, even um, morning sickness and hyperemesis gravidarum, that severe morning sickness that everybody knows that buzzword because of Kate Middleton um, and using hypnotherapy for exactly that. So, So there are a lot of things around that that we can do. The service has expanded most definitely over the last 17 years, whereas now we're what's known as easy birthing fertility to parenthood. So that um, uh, service provides everything for people on their journey to parenthood that uh, hypnosis and psychotherapy can can throw at it, if you like. So um, that can even support people who are having difficulties conceiving. Um, But we realize that, you know, we're um, only um, uh, people with 24 hours in the day and seven days in the week. So in the last few years, what we've been doing is expanding our services to as many people as we can possibly reach by opening an online school. And so uh, as well as our one to one, both live and um, uh, uh, live video sessions like, you know, we use Zoom, Microsoft Teams, etc. Um, but with our online school, we're providing courses for parents and parents-to-be um, and people that are that are having trouble conceiving. So right the way through with that journey from fertility to parenthood. Okay, so because this is the, the wonderful thing that has kind of changed with the internet, isn't it? That you can be accessible to anybody anywhere. I mean, that this is the wonderful thing that this helped me start a podcast is that strangely, the pandemic was great for me because people would like, oh, you want to do a podcast via Zoom? That well, I do Zoom all the time. And this yeah. is like, I can access people all around the world. So one of the things that we were just sort of talking about before we started is how we make people feel comfortable. And you and I were about to really go down that road. And I was like, no, stop, we can record this. And and that, that that's it, because just just for clarity with people, I don't have any children. So it, it's never been something that, I'm not sure if there's a nice way of saying it. It's just not something that's ever kind of interested me. I've never wanted yeah. to be a parent, if that makes sense. Um, which I know people find strange, because like, what, you've never wanted kids? Nope, never. No, I, I, and I, I wouldn't say it's strange at all. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to be clear, I don't dislike kids. You know, I'm a great, fantastic uncle to my niece and nephew, and they would certainly evidence that for you. And so would my sister. And it's not always convenient, but it's, you know, I just never wanted my own, but there is a lot of anxiety around parenthood and for people that want to have children. So how do you start the, for somebody that might be listening to this, you know, because as soon as, you're feeling that anxiety or nervousness and you want to explore what options are available and what's out there. How do you start the process of making people feel comfortable? 
Okay. So are we talking particularly about anxiety for parenthood itself? Just, just to somebody, you know, yes. like, because just that, you know, like you and I at the beginning were talking about how I realise that my carefree attitude towards how we organise a podcast can make people feel uncomfortable. Like, does this guy even know what he's doing? And so, so what is it that kind of like, yeah, how, how did you, with the business, how it started and everything, what what were the, the initial kind of pain points that people might have had that you had to learn to pivot with? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the um, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is the biggest barriers in people feeling comfortable, both if they're approaching someone for support, or um, uh, and I I see that as akin to um, that admitting that they're struggling, um, yeah. no matter where that is on that fertility to parented continuum, um, and shame and guilt really are the two big obstacles in people being able to come forward they feel they're going to be judged um so when we're talking about uh comfortable that is right up there as the barrier that we need to break down really right from the beginning and that could be from the very initial um uh email or um phone call or whatever um but i would say it starts even before that because we we do uh, a lot of blogging, we've got a strong social media presence on um, pretty much every platform that I've ever heard of, <laughs> and some and some that I'm still learning. But um, uh, and it is actually at that point that we want to help people feel comfortable. Um, so part of it is actually about normalizing their fears and anxieties, so that um, uh, they don't feel, my goodness, I've got no right to feeling like I'm feeling um yeah so yeah because there's something that is still kind of rattling around in my head that you said about shame and guilt and now obviously because i've never had some um I, you know I, I don't have children it's not something i wanted to pursue why like why would uh, yeah sorry i don't even know how to ask the question without sounding really clumsy but why would somebody feel shame or guilt about wanting children Okay, so it could be anything from, and bearing in mind we're we're in the context as well of of being um, uh, therapists for yeah, yeah absolutely uh, yeah you know the years that we have. So I think it's kind of going to cover that plus the specialist service. Um, so um, when uh, uh, you know someone is pursuing a particular life plan, so let's think about um, you know we're talking about the aspect of whether or not to have children. Um, you have got, um, many people do feel shame and guilt around that, the, the potential thought around how society feels about your decision consciously to decide whether to have children or not. So if, if I can use the example of you, sometimes even at that point, you can get individuals who are feeling shame and guilt. That, you know, yeah now you now like that context behind it yeah people do i do get judged because i've never wanted children yeah uh, absolutely and and actually you've made a really good point that sometimes there is judgment out there it's 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 unfair um of of course and part of, so i just think oh, okay exactly exactly but as you can imagine someone that maybe um uh already uh has low self-esteem or low self-value or feels not good yeah. enough they, they can 
feel not only are they being judged by everyone for everything, um, and so there's a lot of kind of imagining people are judging when they're not, and also, as you quite rightly said, if you do come across judgment, no matter how unfair, that it's taken on board that, um, uh, if you like, that somehow I'm bad, I'm wrong, um, uh, hence the shame, because shame is a very internalised process of uh, people feeling actually there's something there's something wrong with me, essentially, you know, there's something wrong with my decision making, with my attitudes in life, with my capabilities. And so it can um, it can attack the very core of our identity. And please do not get me wrong when we're talking about that um, conscious decision to have children or not. We're not saying that everyone feels this, but very often we get people approaching us that are really struggling with that decision, even even when it's a decision that's yeah, right for them. Yeah, because that, there is something that you said then again, which I can I can understand that comes across as confusing. Because, like I said, I find it amusing that people judge me because I've never wanted children, but it it doesn't bother me. However, yes. because I'm I'm openly or outwardly confident, I have quite a thick skin. But one of the things you and I were talking about pre-starting the podcast was, I know Caroline Kavanagh because she's my therapist, so I do mm -hmm. still have sort of traumas or issues that when they get on top of me i i seek help from caroline you yes know, so caroline is my go-to person for but mm -hmm. in other areas of my life no it's everything is water is off a duck back but then like you you mentioned about something to do with self-esteem and stuff there, there are areas of my life where that's been a struggle so i reached out you know i sought help through caroline and yes yeah, so, so now that you and i have this conversation i'm starting to see like all these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle where you can be perfectly healthy look like you're having the ideal life and then you make a and a very important life decision like actually i've, I've met somebody we're going to have kids and then it all comes tumbling down sure sure what's really interesting is we often see those two obstacles and again but bearing in mind we started talking about people being feeling comfortable feeling yeah. safe if you like um is that we see that again um even where uh, uh, on the fertility aspect, if people have decided that that is for them, that they they um, do want to have children, that one or other of um, those people involved, and we certainly see people for single person IVF, so there isn't always um, two people involved. But um, we know that uh, for the reproductive system to to work, we need a healthy response from mind and body. So yes. that actually you can subconsciously block um, fertility. So imagine if we get to that point where um, uh, you have made a decision that that's what you want to do. Um, sometimes it may be if we're back to that self-esteem, someone who um, uh, actually they want children, but deep down they actually feel that they're not going to be a good parent. Maybe they had experienced themselves of um, uh, less than ideal parenting. And so there's a feeling of that they won't have the competence, the skills. Um, sometimes it can be um, that someone has suffered a loss in the past. Um, so that may be a, a direct loss around conceiving infertility, like um, uh, 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 
um, a, a, a miscarriage or that they've, they've um, lost a child. So there may be a subconscious protection. So this could be someone that's already made that decision and is still feeling or, um, that, that shame and or guilt because guilt is about what we feel we do out there, if you like, what we do, what we say, yeah. how we interact with the world. So shame and guilt are very closely related, but they are different. Um, and so often we can actually um, uh, see people that have no um, that have no evidence issue with actually conceiving. Um, they've had every medical test known to man, and there is not nothing physiologically wrong. Um, uh, but their subconscious is actually blocking even that process. So again, you get those those uncomfortable, if you like, um, emotions coming in there. This is, I think, people. Um don't quite realize that just that the subconscious controls everything it doesn't matter if a blood test or a scan shows that everything is fine that's not how the body works if your subconscious switches something off it's off and no amount of pills no amount of vitamins supplements prodded by the doctor is going to change that if, if when your subconscious mm -hmm. says that's not going to work because we need to sort something out it doesn't work until until the subconscious is, I suppose, satisfied that the problem's been resolved. So, because people like don't realize that one of the sole purposes of your subconscious is to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. It's just like I'm not going to let the conscious mind decide what's good and bad because mm -hmm. I listen to you talking to yourself sometimes, and you can be quite the idiot at times. So I'm going to have overall control. And we are going to, you know, the subconscious is going to decide how the body reacts in certain situations. And it's very powerful. It, it, and I think that this is what people don't realize. It's like, oh, I want it. I want it. This is something I want. This is something I'm going to embrace. Your, your subconscious doesn't give a shit. Your subconscious yep. is like, no, we have a ton of things we need to, to, to put in place first so that the, 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 that deep state inside your consciousness is mm -hmm. we're ready for this we're comfortable with this we're safe we're going to mm -hmm. do a good job or not so much we're going to do a good job i trust you we trust ourselves to overcome any problems that may come our way we're competent mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if you don't feel that in your consciousness it's not going to happen Absolutely. And what I was going to say is not only do we know the subconscious um, has, if you like, a, a direct messaging system to everything physiologically yeah. and psychologically, so can potentially stop slow down processes. I mean, my goodness, we see it in birth as well. But generally in therapy, we talk about the um, uh, definition of um, trauma. You mentioned trauma earlier. Yeah. The definition of trauma being um, the gap between our perceived threat and our perceived ability to cope. Now, the word perceived is really important when we talk about the subconscious because um, subconscious might be stopping you going up and petting that lovely cuddly lion that's escaped from Longleat, um, but which, which would be good. It is yes. protecting you, as you say. But what happens if you're in the middle of um, a, a Tesco's or a Waitrose and you're, you have a panic attack, 
That is that your subconscious perceived threat, if I just show you with my hands, and that perceived ability to cope is way down here. And so there may not be actual threat, but the stuff that happens in the middle causes a reaction from the, from the subconscious um, that is powerful, but is not protective, is actually quite obstructive um, and against and often incongruent with what we want and what we need. But it's, it's, I mean, because that's something I've actually written about in blogs. I've talked about in my videos and I talk about when I, I'm doing therapy with my own clients is we uh, um, we actually have this incredible primitive operating system. And the example I give to people, if you look at an iPhone, I think it's like had about 10 different upgrades on its operating system. Right. Microsoft. If you look at Microsoft Word, you know, from where it started to where we are now. Right. Mm -hmm. And. Like, you know, we're talking, I've got a new laptop now and it's all upgraded, everything's upgraded. But the operating system that we were born with two million years ago has not been upgraded once. And its only design is to keep you alive. And people misunderstand. Its job isn't to make you feel safe. Its job is to recognize danger. And it mm -hmm. recognizes danger and makes you flee because its only purpose is survival, to keep you alive. Now, the subconscious, it's not a, 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 the most articulate way of putting it, but it doesn't actually care if you feel scared or not. What it cares about is you reacting to fear. Yes. It's like, I need you yes. to be scared, so you will run. And in this modern life we have with stress of work, stress of bills, stress of road rage, waiting for public transport, all of these things, they build up and build up and build up. And your operating mm -hmm. system is just like, I can't cope with this anymore. I've had enough. And that's mm -hmm. why you get a panic attack when you're trying to buy milk in Tesco's. Because mm -hmm. yes. your subconscious yes. is just Absolutely. like, I've had enough. We need we need to chill that, you know, get rid of this shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, and it's a real shame because people don't realize how deeply the subconscious affects us. And that actually... Because people do, and uh, this is something I discovered in my thirties after like some uh, sort of like some traumatic personal experiences. Um, I start getting panic attacks. I thought, why am I? And I remember having one at a friend's barbecue, and I was just like, well, luckily there was a part of me that was quite is quite survivalistic, and I was just sat there like, why am I having a panic attack at my friend's barbecue? I never want to hear. And I was just like, and the reason I was able to do that is I did a lot of acid in the nineties, so I learned to control that side of me. Right? Is just it's but it, it's just like hang on a second this and that you know it's just like right so breathe deeply what's going on <laughs> but i was drinking beer on a summer afternoon in a friend's garden having a barbecue with friends i knew everybody there we were close there was no reason whatsoever to justify a panic attack and it's possible it's not something i know enough about that being so relaxed is what caused the panic attack <laughs> Well, so so what's really interesting and, and uh, the, you know, to um, um, to pick up, if I may, from from your example, when the operating system kind of gets it wrong, thinking it's got it right, I telling you to fight or flight from that barbecue, for example. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, it, so so those are kind of um, because of your experiences from the past, whatever they may be. Um, that it's decided that that's part of the learning. The real beauty and why hypnotherapy can be such a great tool for psychotherapy, um, no matter what 
area, whether it's birthing, whatever that you actually use this in, is that um, it is your neocortex at that point, your logical and rational part of you that is saying, there's, I'm in a friend's garden, I know everyone, you know, everything's great, you know, I'm drinking beer, I'm relaxed, what, what's the problem? But it is your amygdala, which is the operating system that hasn't been updated, um, part of what we call your limbic system or your, yeah. your emotional brain. That is the thing that gets the um, signals slightly, I mean, we're talking about milliseconds, microseconds, yeah. I'm not sure how to put it, but very, very fleetingly gets it, um, gets the messages of the environment, what's happening. Um, it gets all of the sensory experience slightly ahead of time. And so if your amygdala, whatever it's linking it to, rightly or wrongly, um, decides that you need to feel panicked um, at that time, then your neocortex is going, what are you doing? Why are you reacting like that? But your amygdala has already got you to react in fight or flight with that panic. Now, the beauty here is that... Um, uh, we call it the critical factor where the amygdala says, um, you know, there is a threat. And remember, that could be perceived threat in front of you. You do not have time to think um, what you know about this scenario. We need to react now. This is a survival thing. Yeah. Um, it's what we call the critical factor. And so it essentially shuts off the involvement of the neocortex, the logical, rational part yeah. of you. The amygdala then has reacted with the panic attack before you know it. Um, however, we know that hypnosis can do and hypnotic states can do something called critical factor bypass. Sounds like a really dodgy operation, doesn't it? It's not. Um, or, or one of those software updates they send you for security. Yeah, one of those software we need, updates. We need to do an update and restart the computer. <laughs> So what we can do, even with this ancient software of the, mm. the limbic system, is that we can, um, uh, during hypnotic states, which I'm sure you probably know, you've obviously got experience there, um, uh, is an alpha brainwave state. So yeah. our brainwaves slow down between 8 and 15 hertz. And it is at that time that we bypass the critical factor. So if you like, we have the ability with hypnosis to stand back and go, hang on here. So this is what your amygdala, your emotional brain is reacting to. This is what we know logically and rationally. I'm at a friend's barbecue and everything's fine. Um, so what happens is that gap between your perceived threat and perceived ability to cope is kind of, if you like, challenged um yeah. at, at both sides and so it's like of course i can cope here i'm in, i'm perfectly safe i'm yeah. perfectly comfortable there is no threat it's just that i had learned maybe years ago um that there was something triggered in this situation that meant i felt a threat so we can relearn what we can do and thinking back of your your iphone um idea yeah. and I, that, that absolutely that's a really good one is um and <laughs> maybe this is where my technological um, uh, knowledge stops and ends, but um, what we can do is change the communication between the, the apps or between the, the software um, and actually say, hang on, maybe we need to update this because our neural pathways that have been established, even from threat or trauma in the past, um, can always be changed. Um, yeah. They send messages to each other, brain cells, um, that have to jump across a, uh, what we call the synaptic gap. Um, and that happens throughout the brain. 
So if cells are no longer firing together, i.e. this really is threat, and this is how we need to respond, i.e. run away very quickly, um, uh, what will happen is those cells will actually start to join new brain pathways um, so that you're no longer reacting with a panic attack in a friend's garden, for example. Yeah, yeah. and it is just... not useful can be changed. Absolutely, and and it must be difficult as well because you know this is you know a, bit a stereotype, obviously, but you know you got a couple they come in, we want to have children, we're struggling, and it's like I don't understand it. You know, the person opposite me is the love of my life. That person's the love of my life. We're intimate. We trust each other. There's a level of emotional intelligence between us. We've talked about our issues. We trust each other. And I can't fall pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and then I'm at, uh, an anxiety would build because they go and see a, a doctor, a medical practitioner of some sort, who tells them everything's working. And it doesn't matter how well you word that. It's like, well, everything's working, so the problem must be you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 25% of um, uh, cases of fertility issues are um, uh, what we call unexplained fertility. Um, so the, the biggest chance is that they are actually psychological and not physical at all. But think of in on, on the fertility side, um, and it is very similar when we get into pregnancy and birth and how these systems work there. Um, our reproductive system and our um, digestive system, interestingly, are two of the biggest systems in our bodies that take a lot of energy. Um, uh, you know, they, they take a lot of oxygen and blood supply, etc. But um, they're also the ones that aren't directly involved in our survival. Now, you may say the digestive system, <laughs> we've got to eat to survive. Well, yeah, but maybe we don't need this minute. Maybe our... Um, uh, our, our subconscious believes that we're in threat, so we need to react. So we'll switch that one off. We'll switch the reproductive system off. Let's not even go down that that route. Um, and so uh, stress, and th th it may not even be stress that's related to fertility. Although what you were saying there about you go to investigations, you you get more. Um, anxious about it is absolutely true. We say um, the longer a couple takes to conceive, um, the the less likely they are to conceive. Yeah. Um, because of that, because of all the stress build up. Um, uh, and what I was going to say is, is as um, as as part of that, it can also be about stress about job. You know, it can be as you say, all the various deadlines in life and you know, increasing gas and electric bills and, you know, everything um, creates this um, uh, uh, response of stress within our system. So if the blood and oxygen supply is taken for everything else, the reproductive system is where it's taken from or certainly one of those two major systems. Because this, this is something that I think people don't understand is there are essential things your body needs for function. Like you said about food. Now, anybody that knows anything about fasting will know you can very comfortably, if you sort of set yourself up properly, not eat for 10 days. I've mm -hmm. done two seven-day fasts. Mm -hmm. And once you get past about somewhere between 24 and 36 hours, mm -hmm. it doesn't cross your mind to eat. Ever. Yeah. You know, and it gets to the point where you have to remind yourself it's time. Okay, it's been seven days. You need to have something to eat. Yeah. Right? And, and the one of the things i try and explain to people is 
we massively misunderstand and underestimate how efficient our body is yeah we we complain about you know a little bit of arthritis you know groaning knees groaning joints you know a couple of scars i've got from injuries and a few pulled muscles and that's the point in if i was a car i'd be a write-off the body doesn't work like that yeah <laughs> the, the body is just so efficient at, at functioning mm. and it, it's doing so many things at the same time and while you're sitting there thinking well i don't feel that great you, you've just no idea how just what a great job your body is doing but one of the things that makes the body so efficient and is its ability to just we need resources for something else right now so or another way of looking at it is and i and i think about when you you look at the sort of in the animal kingdom and, and all the people with conservation who, who are trying their hardest to keep species alive and they're like i don't understand we've got everything perfect but that animal whatever it is and we are only animals is like these are not the perfect conditions for survival yeah if the conditions for survival are not perfect or you subconsciously don't believe it's perfect yeah. your body yeah. will switch off its reproduction system because it does not want you um because yes yeah, so going back to what we were saying originally is about the operating system because humans although not in this current form but um if you go right down to our ancestry we're two million years old and yeah. i think in this format we're a couple of hundred thousand years old or some or half a million years old or something but giving birth having you know raising children giving birth from when our operating system started was dangerous mm -hmm. incredibly dangerous mm -hmm. It was literally life or death. Yeah, there were both, predators around. Yeah, both for you and the child. And we see that, you know, people will watch a nature program and see some antelope spending half an hour, an hour, two hours, start to struggle with pregnancy and lions come along and eat it. They'll see the same with zebras, right? Now, that those animals know they have a small window in mm -hmm. which to give birth. Otherwise, both them and the child will die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But humans think that doesn't apply to us. Yeah. And it most definitely does. Of course, we're, we're animals as well. And I know that's exactly what you're implying. What's really interesting is um, if any of you, your listeners or, or you have actually um, uh, have ever worked with horses, horses, I think, are always a really, really good way of um, uh, seeing what happens if a bit like that antelope or zebra yeah. that's uh, about to be eaten um um that be to to um give the best chance of survival for them and for i'm going to say child here i know we don't call a zebra a child but uh, but um uh you know to to give birth to their young um uh is that all animals have got this very very efficient inbuilt system of being able to slow down or stop the process because of course giving birth um whilst we're giving birth um does leave us vulnerable um yep. to predators to threats out there and so um uh, uh we don't want um us to be compromised if you like if we 
And again, perceived threat, it's not just the real threat, but it's apparent threat as well. And that could be as much in birth, my goodness, of um, um, that you're frightened of hospitals, that you've got yep. a needle phobia. Um, it could be that you don't like your midwife that's just come on shift and you don't feel safe because you haven't built a rapport or you don't trust the professional advice. It could be anything at all. And so um, we are um, uh, within, uh, uh, as animals, we're stopping things. Hospital uh, horses, sorry, if they are spooked in any way, um, they kick in very, very quickly that this is not a safe time and place. And so labor will just stop. There is um, a a, a lovely story born out of tragedy, um, unfortunately, but a lovely human interest story of um, a woman in the Indonesian tsunami um, of quite a few years ago now. I don't want to guess, maybe 12 years, maybe more. Um, And uh, she had been one of the lucky ones, if you can call it lucky, of being able to see the waters um, advance. So she had, you know, um, uh, it knew they were going to invul- engulf her village. She was a local woman, not a not a tourist. Um, and uh, she was actually in the advanced stage of labour. So she had enough time and only enough time because if any of us have seen any of the pictures or even watched the Ewan McGregor film, um, that the waters advanced really quickly. She climbed a tree. She climbed to the highest point that she possibly could get to. Sadly, her village was engulfed and she was stuck in that tree for three days. Okay. Um, No rescue, no boats, nobody to come and help. Um, Her body stopped labor, just like horses, just like any animal that feels in threat would do. Um, Now, our body can't hold on forever because we're also dealing with the um, in birth, the um, physiological thing of um, placenta will eventually start to deteriorate. So the system that's sustaining the baby needs to let go of the baby um, essentially so she did start labor um with it three days later um had her baby in the tree on her own um true story um and uh luckily her and her baby both very healthy were um rescued within a couple of hours of her giving birth so Lucky, most definitely. Um, But again, it shows just how powerful if we perceive threat. Obviously, that was real threat. It was right for her um, brain to instruct her body to act in that way. But that's how powerful it can be. This this is the thing is, especially like if if you just go back a a generation or two, these would have been called miracles. Yeah. Yeah. And people, yeah. So, to give a little bit of reference, um, I'm half Irish and my mum's side um, as Southern Irish Catholics. So yes. that my, my grandmother and great grandmother and you know, great grandparents, a miracle, what a miracle meant to them is not how we perceive a miracle today. We we're very blase about it, right? It was almost blasphemy, blasphemy to mention a miracle in my nan's household, because if it wasn't ordained by the church, jesus or the saints it wasn't a miracle you're just you're just using god's word out of context and you weren't allowed to do that when i was a kid i can tell you <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and people that you know that people would perceive that as some godly miracle at another time but it's it's how fantastically developed our bodies are to survive mm-hmm. and that what you were talking what was talking about with that lady 
uh, during the tsunami is your subconscious at work. Yep, totally, totally. And in that case, exactly what it needs to do. This is our protective system that sometimes gets it wrong. Um, yes. Because of past experience, yeah, yeah. My um, passion um, for all things pregnancy and birth actually came from, um, well, kind of two animals, <laughs> one of them human. Um, uh, my, um, it, it, you know, it's wonderful to hear that you've got Irish um, ancestry. I'm sure you can certainly hear and your listeners can hear yeah. I am. Um, my um, uh, uh, dad and mum um, uh, find one night when I was three. Uh, so your three-year-old um, is not in her bed. It's the nightmare of most parents. Yeah. Um, and they find me um, by one of my dad's sows. Um, now, my dad was a big farmer, hence why he had sows. Um, uh, and I was sitting by the sow while she was giving birth. Absolutely fascinated by the experience, um, scared the life out of my parents, but they got to know in the intervening years that if I was missing, that's probably where I was. <laughs> Absolutely fascinated by it. But a bit closer to our species, um, one of my grandmothers, my dad's mum, had 11 children. Um, my other grandmother had seven. Um, so typical big Irish family. Um, Good old Irish family. They loved their kids. Absolutely. 41 first cousins. <laughs> there aren't many people that <laughs> have no. that many. So we didn't buy birthday cards for everyone, by the way. There was, yeah. a, there was an unspoken rule that we didn't need to. Um, yeah. But because of that, you know, I, I, was, um, I was raised, if you like, around the miracle of fertility. And I still feel, okay, I use miracle in a different context. Yeah. But I still see the whole thing as an incredible miracle, even though because of my work, I understand the science behind it. Still a miracle. It's still amazing. But I, I, I still agree that it is a miracle. I, I, I yeah. you know, I just it's but people don't realize that the miracle lies within. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and, and I think the thing of it so, so difficult and. And and it is frustrating and it's painful because, like like I use for, for terms of terminology and communication, I use things like iPhones and Samsung phones to demonstrate difference. But a, a, another way of like looking at the, the the rational brain of the subconscious is it, it's it's like diesel cars and petrol cars. Now, if anyone's ever put petrol in a diesel or diesel in a petrol, they'll realise well it doesn't. Well, hang on a second. Yeah, right. Well, why is my car not working? They're both combustible engines. What's the problem? Well, actually, t technically, that's not true. Pet petrol's combustible. Uh, diesel works on pressure. So, right? But it's, they, they can, we get these harmonies where things work in sort of symbiotic relationships. And when that relationship is good, everything is firing on all cylinders. Everything works really, really well. But when one of them is kind of out of sync, it can affect the other without you realizing why and sometimes like you and i are talking about things and, and we'll both have this in our own practices and every therapist will tell you the same if somebody will come in and say well that doesn't make any sense that's why would i care about that no it's your rational brain can set aside and sit down and say well that's not important your mm -hmm. rational brain will do a to-do list of pros and cons <laughs> you know how am i better off how am i worth and, and we'll we can literally rationalize it till the cows come home yeah. and then say no that's not bothering me yeah, but mm -hmm. 
your subconscious is much more controlled by your emotions, how it feels safe or not safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no matter how you rationalize or, or try to put logic into something that your subconscious is fearful of, mm -hmm. the two are just square pegs or round holes. And no matter how hard you try and beat it, no matter how big the hammer is, it's not mm -hmm. shifting. It's not going to fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly that. You mentioned symbiotic relationships. And one of my favorite, um, uh, I have many, but one of my favorite facts about pregnancy is that when you have another system, body and mind, that has the potential to react inside a woman's body yeah. um, and her mind and body connection within there. Um, uh, we now know that um, if um, a, a woman during pregnancy, I, when, when there's a developing fetus in there, um, uh, has a, a organ damage um, for, for some reason, the baby has a symbiotic relationship because it wants to survive he or she, should I say, wants to survive. So um, they will actually um, uh, send stem cells to the organ um, that is not working properly to attempt to repair it. So even, and that is a scientific fact, so that even the baby is saying, whoa, hang on here, I've got to survive, so I'll help you to survive to help me to survive because you're you're my host, if you like, as I'm yeah. developing. Yeah. Okay. That does make sense to me because there is I'm trying to think where it is now. I think one is in Colombia and there's another one in Mexico and there's these hospitals now that do a lot of stem cell uh, therapy. Yes. yes. Uh, where they literally inject your stem cells into a damaged part of your body. And for, I, I don't know the science exactly of how it works. Um, but yeah, effectively it sends a signal to what to that part of your subconsciousness i suppose to repair the organ and the, and your stem cells are literally being used to repair people's ligaments uh, organs did you, did you like people are going in there i think it was fighters that first started using it because they had damaged shoulders damaged knees damaged hips and i think it it, it was kind of or at least that's how i know of it is through mma fighters and boxers and stuff like that um, and through uh, Mel Gibson on the Joe Rogan podcast, and Joe Rogan has has championed it as well for a dodgy shoulder. Yeah, that they, they, they collect your stem cells, inject it into a damaged area, and it starts repairing it. I know it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and and it does make sense what you're saying because it, it's kind of you know when you and I are talking about it, it kind of sounds silly if you think that um, a, 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 a woman who's pregnant that the signals only go one way no mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense that the the child the, the child as it's developing is going to be involved in the survival of, of its mother yes yeah i mean i've never literally never thought about that until you just mentioned it and it's just like no that would make perfect sense because yeah. okay. otherwise exactly the same thing a, a, a child yeah it, it won't develop if it doesn't feel safe <laughs> exactly exactly and it's the same kind of signals that we use um uh, uh still with pregnancy that the um uh, morning sickness and the, the hormonal changes that that are the most likely cause behind that there are many causes yeah. but again we're we're sending different signals about actually um 
uh, about feeling okay, about being able to focus on on functioning, and of course, including if someone's suffering nausea and vomiting, then that's not going to be conducive to being able to sustain a developing fetus and a, a mum herself. So there are lots of things that we can do to help the, the system just to adjust to that and just to kind of calm down, if you like, those, um, those, those signals. Yeah. And goodness, the signals I was just going to say in, in birth, we know that, um, um, uh, uh, labors are 3.23 hours shorter in length that, when using hypnobirthing because hypnobirthing is about teaching you how to be able to stand back from um, anything that might hinder the process and kind of to uh, let it uh, let it go along unhindered because the body knows how to to do this. Um, yeah, there, there are lots of other. Well, that's that's probably a, a good thing to to move into is. Um, because th there is something that's always fascinated me about birth, right? Mm -hmm. um, is, and again, I I'm trying not to be clumsy with my wording, but <laughs> go <it's>, ahead. <laughs> like, like you and I say, we've been doing this for 2 million years, yeah. but it's about since the industrial revolution that we seem to be getting it wrong. And, and if you look at child mortality rates and what we know from the fossil records, and I could be a little bit out here, but I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty close. Child mortality rates during the Industrial Revolution and from when we went from being nomadic to farming to the Industrial Revolution rose. When we, from what we understand of human evolution, when we were nomadic and just hunt, uh, hunter cadavers, which we were up until for about 99.9% .9 of he human evolution, to give it some context. It's like this era that we think we're in is, is, is if you were talking about a fetus, it, it's probably still semen swimming up the, the uterus. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's where modded humans, that, that's literally where we are on the timeline. Yeah. We haven't mm -hmm. even seen the egg yet. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, that's that's a good analogy. <laughs> I'll borrow that one. <laughs> yeah, so and so I've often when you and I were talking, I was just like that. That's an interesting concept because we knew how to do it for a million, two million years. Yes. So what changed? Yeah, yeah. So I think we need a three-hour podcast to talk about the well, history. Of I was saying this because no, no, I am. No, don't worry. No, no, no. <laughs> Actually, that is a very good point because I am obviously careful of the time. And I was going to say to you, should we do a part two? Maybe we need to. Maybe we need and, to. Because this, is, this has been a fascinating topic. I am more than happy to do that. Um, so there's there's um, one aspect, and, and um, you know, joking aside, really, there are many many aspects yeah. that, that led to to that change. And as you say, we've been around for two million years, and we're still here. So we must have been doing something right. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. One of the and and like I say, I, I would love to do something about the history of birth because that is fascinating in itself. Um, um, uh, but if we give a, a teaser, as it was, with, with that, around the time of um, Queen Victoria, um, uh, just before that, chloroform was um, introduced as a pain relief, not, not specific to childbirth, but, but yeah. um, uh, full stop. 
And uh, with chloroform being um, introduced, uh, there was, which I won't go into now, but definitely will, will in future, yep. um, uh, that there was, let's just say there was a whole kind of um, um, uh, uh, history prior to that where the attitudes towards pregnant women meant that um, they wouldn't give chloroform to women. Um, and there was a whole religious movement behind that feeling that actually they don't deserve it. And that I mean that word, deserve. Oh, yeah, so no, I can understand if that. If anybody's listening to this and they think they want to hear about history, believe me, it's fascinating. So with that, um, women weren't given chloroform. Queen Victoria um, then had uh, yet another child, as we know. I can't even remember now how many she had, but quite a few. And uh, she was having her child. And because she was a queen, she said, I want chloroform. Because we were taught up to that point that even though birth is a natural process, it's been around for two million years, there was a lot of stuff through history that it became something to fear. Um, and we talk about the fear, tension, pain cycle, um, whereby it is as simple as that. The vicious cycle between our anxieties, creating tensions, creating pain. There's a lot more to that, but let's keep it summarized by that for now. And so people were afraid of birth. They were also afraid of dying um, yeah. because of the history that had happened um, prior to that. So, so pain relief and the experience of pain was very much at that point in history uh, a part of childbirth where it most definitely hadn't been if we go way back. It's a natural process. Pain's about telling us there's something wrong. If this is meant to happen, why exactly would we be having that? So Queen Victoria asked for chloroform um, uh, and she was a queen. So why couldn't she? Queen <laughs> says, Exactly. And what happened, because chloroform was a very um, dangerous um, form of, of pain relief to give and caused so many problems itself, certainly came along with so many risks, then birth was moved into hospital um, to be able to administer chloroform. So it wasn't the danger of birth that meant most yeah. of the movement into hospital environments. It was actually um, uh, the um, danger of giving pain relief. Um, yeah. And so we are still left with this inevitable um, fear of pain. Um, and we teach women actually how to, um, how to be able to, um, if you imagine pain on a continuum from, sorry, to comfortable one end to pain up the other, we teach women um, to uh, master ideal mental states where they're not hindering the process, including not creating that tension, therefore not creating that pain. So where they are on the continuum is as, uh, as close to the comfortable end as their unique experience will be. We do not teach that um, no women will ever feel pain in childbirth no. or discomfort in childbirth. We absolutely know everybody's experience is different, but we're teaching them not to create that tension that creates more pain. And with hypnosis, um, we also have the ability to teach um, 
uh, uh, pain management or discomfort management techniques that actually, wherever they are on that continuum, we can turn it down even further as long as it's safe to do so because we want women still to be listening to their bodies. But with elective C-sections, um, for example, so planned C-sections, um, uh, because it's an operation, like any operation, um, it's managed and so we can teach people to turn those signals off altogether and quite safely because they don't need to listen to what's going on in their body. Um, and so I've attended several elective C-sections and operations outside of that, including a chest operation with an, an uh, anaesthetist. <laughs> well, so that's an anaesthetist that didn't use anaesthetic. Well, because that's, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because there's an, an interesting thing you were talking about with the history of medicine is uh, anaesthetics, which effectively chloroform was kind of, I think, the first industrialized rudimentary yeah. yeah but antiseptic came along about 50 60 do you know what I mean it came along much later so we learned to numb pain so that people could have operations but we knew nothing about germs mm -hmm. so nobody was nobody was clean and mm -hmm. that and it actually created more mortality um but it's interesting because one of the things that i don't think people fully grasp either is pain in a sense isn't real it's, it's, it's only a signal from the nerve to the brain to say, by the way, I just need to let you know there's a problem. It's, it's almost a bit like knocking on the door to say, sorry, I don't want to disturb you in the middle of your subconscious functions, but um, blood's pissing out and we need to do something about it. But it happens very rapidly. And that is actually pain. Pain is, is a signal to your brain and you can switch it off. Yep. Yeah. Exactly that. We we say there is no pain without the involvement of the brain. Um, so, you know, if you injure your foot and say you've been a real idiot and kind of hit something hot and so you've caused um, possible um, uh, burning or, or heat damage um, as well as the impact, maybe broken bones or whatever. And so the signals, just to illustrate exactly what you're saying there, the signals um, uh, via the nerve endings that would be about touch or impact, as well as the heat nerve endings, they're going to send messages via the spinal cord up to the brain, where the brain, as you say, then interprets and says, hang on, we're being told there's, um, uh, you know, heat and impact here. We need to do something. And so your brain is the one that then decides what to do next. Yeah. Um, so that would be the withdrawal of your foot, for example, so you don't continue causing more damage. Taking the um, weight off um, um, because the brain is sending relay signals that tell you to feel pain. So the brain generates the pain after yes. getting the signals. But your brain will also say, um, you know, that you set your iPhone or Samsung, um, <laughs> on, uh, other phones are available, um, uh, that, that you've set that on, on the side because actually you need to ring your partner because your kid's about to be collected from school and there's no way you're going to be driving right now, you know, or yeah. you've done a um, first aid course um, uh, last week um, you remember where you put the papers about that. Maybe you need to read up on what to do about heat damage. Yeah. So your brain is collecting all of these things, but sending relay signals back to the foot in this case to tell it how to feel. Um, and so absolutely we can uh, turn them down or switch them off altogether. It is. And it's, it's like when you say, when you, when you get into these things and you start talking about it, 
um, hopefully people will be listening to this and starting to feel a bit more comfortable and about, uh, you know, about the things you have control over that you um, mm -hmm. actually might feel that you can't control. Um, it, it's, and it's just understanding that it, your logic, the logical part of your brain or the rational part of your brain doesn't, isn't where you need to seek control. What you yeah. need is to tap into the, um, the tools that you can use for your subconscious brain. And it's not to control the subconscious. It's to let the subconscious relax. Yeah, and, and to let it know when perhaps it's got it wrong, to to yeah. kind of, you know, accept, yeah, I know you're trying to keep me safe, but <laughs> maybe not in this way. That, that's literally it, isn't it? It's, it's almost like having a conversation with it and saying, hey, look, I know you've got my back. Mm -hmm. And thank you for that because you do an amazing job. Mm -hmm. But you're a little overzealous right now, and I just need you to – you're a bit clingy in this relationship. You're a little yeah. bit overprotective. But I, but I appreciate it and I love you for it. But – can you just please shut up and give me some space? Exactly. Yeah. Or or just change what you believe about this situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you say. So it's not, it's not um the reason I, I say that is because it's not always about being calm. I mean, calm is one of the huge no. side effects that we want from a hypnotic state in hypnobirthing. Yeah. Positive side effect, obviously. But um we also enter hypnotic states, which we enter up to 600 times a day. Um, as a, an average um, yeah. uh, human adult, uh, children more because they encounter more new situations um, with new sensory information. Whereas we're old hat, we've got a bit more life experience. Mm -hmm. So we, we only go into it 600, you know, a mere yeah, that's it, yeah. number. Um, and um, I've forgotten what I was going to say now. So um, uh, because we're entering into that um, 600 times a day, we are processing all of the information that, that comes in. Um, so uh, all of that is collecting. Most of it will collect dust. Like, you know, there's a mark on my wall over there. It's only a tiny mark. It's not causing any problem. My brain is taking in that signal plus so many other things at once. Um, and uh, if, um, it, you know, there was something that was uh, a, a threat like <laughs> if I'm afraid of spiders and I'm not, yeah. um, and I saw quite a massive big one with very long hairy legs over there, then my amygdala would be triggering, triggering threat. So sometimes it's about telling um, uh, the subconscious, not just to calm down, but yes, to, to say, well, let's change, let's reframe our belief about spiders. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it's about doing that. But also, we also know... Um, hypnotic states are felt in times of shock um, yeah. or in times of trauma. Um, we dissociate what we just can't deal with right now. So somebody with a um, that's just suffered a, a major bereavement um, is suddenly going, what sandwiches do you reckon we should have, um, you know, at the, the funeral? Um, and, and everyone else is going, have you even sussed what's just gone on, the enormity of what's happened here? But actually they haven't. And it's a hypnotic state that helps them to detach from that. Now that's not calm. Um, that's a kind of a detachment, um, mm. a dissociation. Same thing happens in genuine trauma. Um, we detach from that experience. Would it be um, just kind of a context in a different example? Do you know that, um, and like I said, I'm not sure if this is correct, so I, I'm genuinely asking you if it is. You know when 
people talk about when they drive to work, but they don't know how they got there. Is that another form of hypnotic state that people can yeah. think, oh, oh I, I dangerously do that every day? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, know. uh, uh, the, you are absolutely right. You'll see me nodding. There's one thing I'm going to correct there is yeah. the dangerous bit. And I no, tell yeah, you what, you. It, it absolutely, no, no, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I'm picking, but an important pick. Um, uh, so that absolutely, that is one of what tends to be a quite a long autopilot state um yeah. also if we're involved in a piece of work if it's really kind of um you know engrossed us um we can lose track of time and time distortion is part of um a hypnotic state or that alpha brainwave because that's it we call it autopilot but it's actually a hypnotic state yes yes it's a f yes exactly it's one it's one way we're not always doing autopilot i continuing a task um yeah. when we're in a hypnotic state but it's certainly um uh, one type of hypnotic state, but it's not dangerous because no, no, of course, yeah. And there have been studies done on this, as as with most things. Um, so we know that um, if you're driving along um, and you're an autopilot, what's actually happening is your subconscious is running a program of you driving from home to work, for example. Yeah, um, and so that journey is familiar. The program has been run many, many times. So we know what happens. We know what roundabout we go around. We know what traffic lights we go through. We know to um, wait for it to turn green before we go through. So our subconscious is doing all of that whilst our conscious is focusing on what we're going to have for dinner tonight or you know, a million and one other things because our subconscious has got the autopilot job. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But... If something happened that um, was um, outside of our normal program, so if somebody pulled out in front of you or, um, uh, well, yeah. let's, uh, let's leave it at that. If something yeah. unexpected happened, it's not part of the program that's just churning over and being run out. It's not part of your software, if you like. Um, and so the conscious mind would go, oh, what just happened? The, um, there have been many, many experiments done on that, but we know that reaction times are actually slightly quicker in a hypnotic state. And it's because we're almost blinkered towards this program. So if anything happens outside of that, it is a knock, knock, knock on the door of the conscious to react. Yeah? Well, because there's people, this, um, just go into that about the relaxed state, which is why you react quicker, is yeah. the, um, that's the, the best example of that is athletes. And you'll see athletes when they're tense, they don't react and they don't respond as well. But the athletes, the probably the best example of a relaxed athlete was Usain Bolt. He did his best runs and his world records when he was at his most relaxed yeah, in, in the peak in the peak of his career. Um, and just for somebody else, because people in case somebody does question, well, then why do most accidents happen closer to home? It's because that's the majority of your driving. Yeah. I know it's because I'm an ex-car trade guy. So, yes, yes. Um, although the autopilot, the hypnotic state, is your most relaxed, it's the reason that you have the most accidents closer to home is because 90% of your driving is done, at, like those journeys. So that that that's why that happens. It's not to do with the hypnotic state. No, it's not at all. It's not at all. You say Bolt, um, as you said, did his best running when he was in the zone again. Yeah, that, the that zone. Kind of Linkered state, um, completely um, focused on the task in hand. Um, we, with with women giving birth, we actually call it labour land. 
what? It's not a medical term. <laughs> well, because if you look at some on YouTube clips of Usain Bolt when he's um, getting ready for the starting blocks, yeah. all the other athletes are trying to like psych themselves out, and he's fist bumping the people, the the the, the attendees who are like yeah. looking after his bag and stuff, and he fist. But there's a famous one where he swaps caps with one. And Excellent. He fist, and he's uh, one is in the 2012 Olympics, and he fist bumps this girl, and he's just chatting to her. And the, and and the funny thing is, they the 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 the, uh, the kids or the teenagers that attend get told they're not allowed to speak to the athletes because you're not supposed to distract them. And Usain Bolt comes up and starts dancing, fist bumping, swaps hats with this girl, and it, it's amazing. But that's how he stayed in his relaxed state. It's his belief system. Um, yeah. Um, and, he, he, you know, was was already that as far as he's concerned, he's about to do his his best run that he possibly can do. He's about to reach his potential yeah. so to him. There's no threat there. Um, mm -hmm. So he's able, as you say, to do everything else. I don't know, um, Dashi staying with athletics, whether you know the story about Roger Bannister, the guy that ran the yeah, under four minute mile. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and it, it's interesting is what happened after it. That's, you know. Yeah, it was broken, like, just literally within a week of him doing it. Yes. Or two weeks, or the, basically the next big run, I think it was. It was broken and then broken again and then broken again and broken again. 57 um, uh, uh, other athletes um, within seven months. 57. And they had all been trying before, um, but... Um, the word, if, if we are going to try something, it's a message to our subconscious that we don't actually believe we're going to be successful. And there is, yeah, because people don't realise that before Roger Bannister came along, it was agreed in medical science that it was impossible, humanly impossible, to break the three-minute, the four-minute barrier for the mile. Yes, yes. And then once Roger Bannister did it, every, literally everybody did it afterwards. Exactly, exactly. And he, um, uh, I'm sure you probably know this, but um, he um, uh, was a medical student and that's why he disagreed with medical science. And actually he was able to go down that belief system of going, I don't believe this is impossible. I actually believe that I can do it. So didn't know he of was course a medical there was student. Yeah. everything there, um, motivation, drive, everything to prove them wrong. I mean, who wouldn't want it? Um, but also the fact that he genuinely, his belief system had a massive shift to all of the people who weren't trying. It wasn't that nobody had tried beforehand, just about every athlete um, uh, as in, yeah, every athlete in the world um, was uh, every semi-professional was actually trying to do that, but they didn't believe they could because medical science said it was impossible. And that that is actually what was said. It's it is impossible. And then yeah. somebody just like you, and and this is probably a great kind of place to finish on this is how powerful hypnosis can be, because when you change that belief system. Mm -hmm then your brain, well, I'll let you take over. Yeah, absolutely. It's your brain um, uh, uh, telling you what's possible, really. Um, and, of course, we're being realistic. We're being realistic, um, you know, in, in all of the areas that we work with with hypnosis. You know, we're not going to convince some, someone that if they believe that they can fly unaided, that they're going to be able to fly. You know, it is um, about realism. It's about being able to... 
um, if you like, master and fine tune your subconscious so that it's working for your best interests. So if you believe that um, um, uh, uh, the compliment that your boss has, has um, paid you um, uh, for, for a report that you've done, um, it genuinely means that you have competence in doing that and you deserve that compliment. Um, it's not being taken over by not good enough beliefs from the past when you think oh, there must be loads of mistakes. He obviously hasn't looked at it properly or maybe he's laughing behind my back and it's really a crap report. So it's about fine tuning your brain so that it's working for your best interest. And we're exactly the same in birth, um, uh, you know, and pregnancy and fertility moving back now um, and in parenthood. It's about saying, do you know what? It is all right. Um, believe in what's possible, believe in being a good enough parent, believe in a positive birth experience. And that doesn't mean everything has to go exactly according to plan. Believe in your ability even to adjust, including different modes of, um, uh, of delivery if something happens outside your control. So it's um, most definitely, it's about really believing in yourself so that um, uh, your brain is telling you what is possible and what you're truly capable of. And that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. And we'll arrange to do a part two very soon. Definitely. Definitely. Looking forward to it. <laughs>